Today I thought it might be nice to share a little bit about plant medicines and how I view their use in healing, spirituality and awakening. For I feel it's important to help clarify this subject as there is often very divided opinions as to what is legitimate spiritual practice and what is not. And so many people have been misinformed as to the value of such practices. What I wish to share with you is not a definitive guide, but just a simple sharing of my own understanding and experience as one who has worked with the plant medicines and come to a realization as to the nature of our inseparability. First, it may be useful to look at why people engage in spirituality or religions in the first place or spiritual practices. This can really be useful to show the different agendas people consciously or unconsciously follow and how that may impact on their spiritual unfolding. For some, their spirituality is what they have been born into and reared with. It gives them a sense of faith and belonging and community, a kind of homogeny. Often this type of spirituality or religion is often just a matter of following the code, ethics, morals or teachings of the given group. Here one might never really probe much deeper into the nature of reality, for we have been assured we will be delivered if we simply comply with the teachings and observances of the group. And often it is not expected or encouraged to question any deeper into these rules. And this is perfect as some feel no inclination to look deeper into the nature of divinity directly for themselves. And their adherence to the group may very well help them to cope with life's challenges, to be a good person and to mature spiritually. And it is also possible that total surrender to a particular teaching may bring about an awakening. Then there are those who are drawn to engage in a particular spirituality or practice, from meditation to tantra to yoga, often perhaps trying many different practices to find what suits them best, or combining different practices to suit their likes and needs. Yet often people's reasons for joining any particular group or practice are quite diverse. Some just may go along for their sense of well-being or because their friend is going or that it is fun or that they want to look or feel better or to feel a sense of belonging to a group or else it's just another thing to say I've done, a kind of spiritual consumerism or for some it is that they feel lost and need guidance while others may be deeply hurting and looking for help. So many different motivations and some people might not even fully recognize or be conscious of their true motivations. But this is the interesting point. Most people enter into spirituality because they want to feel better. Basically, they don't like something about themselves and want to change it. Or they feel a sense of lack and want to fill it. Or they just want to be happier. Curiously, it can be suffering or discontent that gets us exploring the spiritual realm. 
We want a healthier eye, a happier eye, a clearer eye. It is really self-concern that often propels us. What is in it for me? What will it give me? How will it help me? This is self-concern. This is not to condemn an attitude of self-concern with regard to spirituality. It is just to point out that often it is the motivating factor and it is very healthy to recognise this in ourself. It is a natural response when one is suffering and believing in separation to want to ease discontent and look for a remedy. And a remedy can take many different forms depending on your needs and predilections, circumstances and maturity. Really your inner longing and state of consciousness will gravitate you towards a teacher or remedy that is most potent for you at that time. The big question is, will that remedy, teacher or guide actually challenge your self-concern? Will they show you how to inquire into your very sense of self? Will they show you your inseparability? And even if they do, will you be able to hear them? Often our identification patterns are so contracted and dense that we are unable or unready to take on a direct teaching that immediately undermines our sense of being a separate individual. And this is how I would have been when I entered into the practice of spirituality. Somewhat confused, tired, hurt, and basically just looking for relief. Self-concern was paramount to me. I did not have any real altruistic objectives. I was just trying to sort myself out to be happy. At this time, I was reading some Jedu Krishnamurti, which was often quite a challenge to say the least and difficult to understand at times. But I would get vague intellectual glimmerings or grasp what he was alluding to, but still it appeared to make no impact on my identity and my life continued to flow in well-worn grooves of ups and downs. I then started to practice of Hatha Yoga, but mainly because I had an injury to my back and I was told it'd be good for me, so really it was self-concern yet again. But I did grow to love it and looking back I can see that it started a process of clarification in that held contractions of the body were freed up which had a corresponding effect on the mental well-being. And I got an inkling of this potential of yoga to clarify as I sat in class one day. I was looking at the teacher and I started to notice a soft golden light around her body. What was happening was that I was beginning to see the supple energy body. It was then that I decided to really give spirituality a go, so to speak. I enrolled in a meditation retreat. I was hoping it would just calm down my raging mind, which again is self-concern. Yet it was at this retreat that I got the first real taste of no-self, where self-concern fell away. At the time I would not have described it as that, 
I had no real way of languaging it then. But these tastes can be very encouraging in that one gets a real feel for the possibility of being open and living as this openness. Yet many dense and heavy patterns of identity still remained and seemed to keep me tied into ways of being that were not nourishing or peaceful. It was then that I came to plant medicines, while still being very much in the movement of self-concern and self-improvement. And what a boon that was to loosen the perceptual limits of consensus reality and free up all the unconscious material that had been denied and repressed. The beauty of the plant medicines are that they can, when used wisely that is, flush up old unconscious patterns into the light of awareness. All hurts, fears, traumas, difficult emotions and limited beliefs are freed up. Freed up in the sense that they are no longer held tightly as a form of limited identification. I found the real power of the plant medicines not to be the big visions, but of simply letting go of control, of surrendering all these limited positions by coming to a forgiveness and love that holds no grudge against any form of life. For any grudge or hurt separates us from the unified flow of life. And the plant medicines also have a subtle, and at times not so subtle, way of pointing out patterns of pride and arrogance that keep one from true communication. The easygoic tendencies can be hard to see about oneself, but in the witnessing of them, there's no longer identification with them. And this can be the beginning of the end for such patterns. Indeed, some of the plant medicines have the capacity to bring one back to the position of the witness, to enable one to see with clarity one's thoughts, feelings and sensations. An analogy might be like when we hear our voice on a recording machine. We're hearing it from a more distant position and it sounds very different to us. We're hearing it as others would hear it. Now imagine this quality of being slightly removed from your thoughts, feelings and emotions and hearing them from a new vantage point. Well, then we would get a clearer perspective on them and not be so identified with them. And I found the plant medicines could facilitate this movement. Another aspect uh, of some of the psychoactive plant medicines is that they turn down an area of the brain called the default mode network, an area that is responsible for self-referential thinking. This network is active when people are thinking about themselves and very active in people who are depressed. It is really the area of self-concern, how we view ourselves, our self-image, our self-narrative, an area of egoic activity, one could say. This same area is also turned down in long-term meditators. And having this default mode network down-regulated can offer vital breathing space for those whose patterns of self-concern or self-referential thinking are oppressive. 
What I also found of note with regard to plant medicines was that it helped give a sense of the ineffable and sacred. And for those whose lives have felt withered and dried of divine sustenance, this can be a great reintroduction. Of course, it is much better to realise you are the divine rather than to have a mere taste. But sometimes stepping stones are much needed and appreciated. Looking back, I can say that my work with the plant medicines was a type of cleansing. Not a cleansing that was attempting to build something better, but more of a netty-netty approach, in that the plant medicines helped to show me what I was not. Again and again, my fixed, limited position of being a separate individual was undercut, as the plants helped bring feelings and beliefs of isolation to the surface so as to expose them as untrue. This gracious act freed up so much of my energy, so as to leave me ripe for self-inquiry. And this was the next stage, where the work with the plant medicines came to a halt as the practice of self-inquiry took hold. Now, how does all this gel with the non-dual understanding that what we essentially are is already whole and perfect. Well, for me, I see no conflict. It's just a matter of appreciating our inseparability. I have seen that, yes, what we are as pure, formless awareness does not need to be cleansed or fixed, and that we are never not this awareness. And indeed, to seek this awareness is to still imagine oneself to be separate from it. Yet what I am as form can clarify, mature and evolve. Prior to awakening, I had believed myself to be a totally separate being, cut off from others in a hostile world. And I struggled to regain a connection to spirit or my formless aspect. Yet the understanding that sprung from awakening was that I had never truly been separate. I had not been lost and I had not been limited to this particular body-mind. And this is key. I would realised I was not limited to the body-mind called will and that I would never been. This does not totally negate the body-mind. The body-mind is a form that is not separate from form as a totality. When unity consciousness dawns, then we can see that we are everything and any particular body-mind form is a part of this oneness. And further, we can also realise our formlessness as awareness, an awareness that does not move or change. It is the stillness at the heart of every changing experience, the mystery that can never be seen, as it is that which sees. Yet everything that awareness sees is its own expression. Unchanging awareness is aware of itself as this dynamically changing form. Often awareness is referred to as that which is real because it does not change, while form is said to be illusory. But what is meant by illusory is simply that form changes, it comes and goes. 
often spiritual teachers use the strategy to say you're not the body mind so as to help one come out of the belief that all one is is a separate body mind their aim being to awaken you to the formless aspect as awareness yet to espouse that the formless alone is valid and that the form is to be discounted is to uphold duality we can make a distinction between them as a pointer or in order to share but in truth there's no separation nothing stands apart so a vital point to contemplate is this can there be an awakening without a body mind without form can formless awareness know itself without form can one awaken from the limited idea of being a body mind without the temporary body mind I would say no I like to say sometimes that this form called will this being this sense of I am is the mirror wherein I know myself as formless awareness and this mirror went through a bit of polishing which allowed for clear seeing so as to realise or know what I truly am Yet what I am as formless awareness needs no polishing and never has. I have found that even after such deep seeings that this form, my form, is still clarifying and harmonising. And the more it does, then the clearer I can express our formless nature. More and more I find that there is just a natural functioning to this form that is not so self-concerned. And the beauty of this lack of self-concern is that this form transforms to an openness that is truly of service when it is selfless. Form will cleanse itself when it is not under the control of limited self-concern. I can see that the plant medicines were a great aid in the process of surrender, which was really a matter of self-concern falling away or the separate self being seen to be illusory. So I can say that my sadhana or spiritual practice with the plant medicines played its part perfectly in the unfolding of the separate self. Of course, what I am as awareness needs nothing. But what joy to come to know oneself as the inseparable embrace of form and formlessness. People often talk about direct or indirect paths, yet this is but a matter of timing and maturity. What suits each being best at any given moment is the best path. Yet what I feel to be important with any path, way, practice or sadhana is orientation. Is a particular path orientating you to face your true self? Is it enabling you to question your identity? Is it diminishing self-concern and allowing for deep surrender to the point that all separation is seen to be illusory? If any way or path is engaged with a devotion to the love of truth, then that path itself is grace guiding you home. Truly, wherever you are at, you are on the path because all is divine, 
you cannot really move from the path. Or equally, you could say that there are no paths, as you are already and always home. I can look back and say that grace took the form of yoga practices, inspirational books, meditation retreats, plant medicines, shaman, non-dual teachers, all to help me let go of limitation and self-concern. But equally, grace took the challenging forms of difficult relationships, accidents, hurts, depression, confusion, all to help me see where I held to limitation and self-concern. Life itself can be seen to be the way and it will deliver you exactly what you need at any given moment to help you realise that you're not separate. You're not separate from this life because you are life. 